so that we would have the mind of Christ, thinking and doing what Jesus wants us to think and do. Today is actually our last day in Philippians until after Resurrection Sunday. Go, cute ones. Go. There they go. But we will uh, come back and finish up the book of Philippians, Lord willing, after Easter Sunday. Um, in the meantime, uh, we will be going through the last, what, the last day or so of Jesus's life uh, as a, a sermon series leading up to Resurrection Sunday. Jesus himself is the perfect example of our uh, of humility. Uh, he's our perfect example of humility and how we ought to think and act. So, once more, probably the last time for about a month, let's say our theme passage together. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he became, obe became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's what I get for trying to say it without looking. <laughs> How many of you are with me? You almost have it, but not quite. Some of you did. I saw some of you actually close your eyes to say it and then reopen them again when you were done. It's the reopening that I'm concerned about. It is Time Change Sunday. I don't know. Do we need to do some jumping jacks? Actually, you guys sang well, so I'm, I'm pleased for Time Change Sunday. This is uh, definitely not the worst one we've had. Jesus' example of willingly humbling himself, willingly putting himself through the torment of the cross is our example. We too must submit to the will of the Father by obeying the word of God as it applies to us, as it applies to us, the church. Both the direct commands and the indirect commands. In doing so, we too, like our Savior, will be misunderstood and maligned. Our good will be called evil at times. And we're seeing that, aren't we? Having the mind of Christ is to think biblically, no matter how the world thinks of it. No matter how it, uh, our thought processes that are biblical stand in contrast to the, wor to the world. If we are thinking biblically, there are some things that we are going to believe, that we are going to do, that the world's going to look at us and say, you're wrong. What does Scripture say? The wisdom of the world is foolishness. And the wisdom of God to the world is foolishness. If we are living godly lives and we are fully accepted in the world the way we live, then we're doing something wrong, right? It doesn't mean we're supposed to just be outlandish and obnoxious, but by living the quiet, humble, obedient life that God calls for us ought to make us stand at odds to the world, shouldn't it? Does it seem that 
I say some of the same things in every sermon. I know I do. I remember having a pastor many years ago who was constantly railing on us to read our Bible. Read your Bible every day. Before you leave your bedroom in the morning, read your Bible. And after a while, I remember thinking, we get it. (laughs) Say something else. But there was wisdom in his repetition. I see that more now as I get to know people. He already understood people better than I did. We need constant reminders, don't we? Because we easily, easily, and quickly slide into a different direction, don't we? If we were to, if we were to be able to account for every time one of us, one in this room, had a thought, word, or deed that was contrary to the mind of Christ, even in just the last week, it would become very clear why this repetition is necessary. Isn't it? What a bummer of a way to start a sermon. Is is pastor in a bad mood today? I'm, I'm not, actually. But to start off a sermon saying, yes, we are all still sinning is not exactly a way to hype people up, is it? My job is not to get people excited. My job is to tell you the truth. 1 John 1, 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John wrote that to believers. He wrote that to the church, to people like you and me. If we believe that we have stopped sinning, we are lying to ourselves. Right? That's why today's passage is so timely and important. Would you read it along with me? Philippians chapter 4 will be in verses 8 and 9 this morning. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we are ones who are guilty of committing sin constantly. We continue to live in a sin-cursed world. Our bodies are still the same sin-cursed bodies, which means our minds are still influenced by sin. For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, that curse is not permanent. But for now, we still struggle with sin, and 
Lord, I ask that you would help us to recognize through the passage today that, that our sin in action begins with sin in our thought life. Help us to guard our minds. Help us to, to do what this passage is asking us to do. We know that you'll be glorified in it. So, Father, take our hearts and fashion them according to your will today. In Jesus' name, amen. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. When our thoughts are God-centered, then that's a very encouraging verse, isn't it? But when our thoughts are centered on the things of this world, on sinful desires, then this is a very condemning verse. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Matthew 15, 18. What comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These only come out of the mouth these sins only are performed in our bodies because our thoughts are there, right? Luke chapter 6, verse 45, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What do all these verses have in common? They all make a very forceful case for the power of thought. What you let into your mind and what you allow to stay in your mind is of vital importance. Our big idea this morning is we remain faithful to Christ by controlling our thought life. We stay faithful to Christ by controlling our thought life. Controlling our thoughts may be one of the most difficult things we do. Right? Because if it's up to actions, if there's certain sins that we want to not engage in, we can get someone to come alongside. If you're married, maybe it's your spouse or it's a close friend that will keep tabs on you and keep you from going to places where you would engage in sin or, or doing other, other physical things. But when it comes to the mind, you can be in the right place, your body can be doing the correct activity, but your mind, well, you can be in all sorts of sin even right now. Right? We remain faithful to Christ by controlling our thought life. In verse 8, we are commanded to think right. There are two verbs Paul uses as direct commands that, in these verses that can pretty much filter everything in the Christian life. Those verbs are think, in verse 8, think on these things. 
And the verb is practice in verse 9. Practice these things. And so Paul gives us eight qualities that, that need to be an ongoing filter uh, for what we allow in our mind, what we allow to stay in our mind. So let's look at those eight qualities. Whatever is true. The concept of truth should not be difficult. And yet it's 2023, and apparently the concept of truth is very, very difficult. We smile and we kind of smirk because, yeah, or we just shake our head. The reality is, yes, we can see it in obvious ways in our culture, but when it comes to what we allow our minds to think of, we are often deceived ourselves. Another word that you could use in place of the word true in this verse is dependable. Is what you think about verifiable? By that, I do not mean that you need to have a notarized affidavit proving every piece of information you believe. But the storyline of the very first sin of humans boils down to Adam having to decide if he should believe the truth as told by God or if he was going to doubt God's truth in favor of the serpent's questioning and Eve's peer pressure. Adam had a choice. The word tells us that Eve was deceived. She was tricked. She was genuinely tricked. Adam was not. Adam had a choice. He knew what God had actually said. And then here's this serpent that, I mean, why it didn't bother him that the serpent was speaking, I don't fully understand. But here's this serpent speaking, and Eve believes the serpent when the serpent questions, did God really say What if Adam, instead of listening to the serpent, instead of bowing to the peer pressure of his wife, handing him the fruit? What if Adam had instead kept mulling over the truth of God, which was this, eat of any tree of the garden except one? That was the truth of God that he should have been meditating on. What if Adam had considered the source? The creator, on the one hand, has told him one thing. And the creator has spoken clearly and plainly and has demonstrated that he is good and kind and loving and generous. And then on the other hand, you have this serpent, this created being. And all he can do is just kind of question did God really mean that? To cause doubt as to what God had said. He, he finds a way to twist everything that God has said. Believers, you and I should never be gullible. We should never be easily convinced by a lie. Believers should never be caught up in conspiracy theories. We should always be quick to recognize the difference between what is definitively true versus what we might assume or think is true or think is plausible versus what we know is patently false. 
right? We should be able to distinguish between those three things. What we know to be true. We don't tend to have the problem with between truth and what is patently false. Where we run into trouble is that spot in the middle where it's plausible. It might be true. You may have heard someone say it. Or, get this, read it on the internet. Did you know you can't believe everything you read on the internet? You know, we laugh at that because we know just how easily falsehood spreads online, and yet we still get caught up in it sometimes, don't we? Just because the internet says so and was repeated doesn't make it true. Just because a person tells you and sounds confident in doing so doesn't mean it's true. There's a reason we call people who deceive others con men. They are confidence men. They exude confidence and therefore convince you that what they're telling you is true and it's not. We need to be very selective in what we keep in our thoughts. And that's, that's really the key here, what we keep, what we think on, what we intentionally pursue in our thought life. Because we're going to deal with, with partial truths and half-truths and flat-out lies every day, aren't we? That's just the nature of being alive. We deal with non-truth all the time. But what do we think on? It needs to be true. It needs to be honorable. When I say the word honorable, we might think of something that is highbrow or fancy, if you will. That's not what this means. To be honorable uh, means to simply be worthy of respect. Being true is the first part of the filter that ought to leave out 99.9% of everything that, that might be possible to think about. Being honorable filters out even more, doesn't it? Because not everything that is true is respectable or honorable to think about. Whatever is just... Now, when we use the term just, we usually use it in a longer word called justice. When someone is accused of a crime and it becomes proven, becomes demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have committed that crime and then they are duly punished for that crime, we say justice is served. And we say that because they have got what is due to them, what is fair. The situations, the, the thoughts, the, the narratives that we keep in our minds are, should be ones where people are treated fairly and correctly. Whatever is pure. Purity, virtue ought to be words that describe the things that we entertain in our minds. I am so thankful God does not give people the capacity to see other people's thoughts. Aren't you? Because if we were to sit here today and analyze our thoughts over the last week or two, how many of them would you really want others to fully know? Our, are our thoughts 
pure, whatever is lovely. Something simply being not sin is not the standard. Something being simply not sin is not the standard of what we let into our minds, what we keep in our minds. It needs to be higher than that. It needs to be actually good and lovely, beautiful, praiseworthy, attractive, admirable, which is actually uh, almost identical to the next word, commendable. In fact, um, one commentator that I read on this passage uh, told us that, uh, that Paul explains seven ways that we are to filter our thoughts, and I counted through the words and go, there's eight. Well, it's because he combined these two together. They're so closely related. Lovely and commendable. Much like what I said under truth, we have to deal with all sorts of things that are unlovely, right? There are all sorts of disgusting, gross, unworthy things that we must deal with often. Those are not the things we are to dwell on. There's a common understanding in the news business that if it bleeds, it leads, right? And there's a reason for that. People buy newspapers to read sensational stories they buy advertising for internet sites and for news stations because if people know that there's something terrible that's happened, that kind of story is going to get attention. What if we had a newspaper that only talked about our children and the nice things that they have done? I mean, grandparents will want to read that, <laughs> but generally that's not going to sell, right? Because we as fallen creatures have this, this sinister desire to ponder things that are bad. God calls us to a higher thought life, to dwell on that which is lovely and attractive and admirable. If there is any excellence, our thought lives should be filled with Moral excellence, not dwelling on questionable things. We don't need gray, right? And then to tip the scale, he says, whatever is praiseworthy. If there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise. And, and in saying praiseworthy, he's not saying that the event or the, the topic is worthy of praising, he's saying, can you praise God with this thought? The filter started with the, the largest gaps in its filter, whatever is true, and that filtered out a whole lot of things. But as we go down this verse, the, the holes in the filter get smaller, get finer, to where what we're left is just purity, right? Because we can't take anything that is remotely sinful and praise God for it, can we? 
The standard that Paul builds us to is that whatever promotes your love for God, that's the kind of thing that you need to dwell on, to meditate on, to keep in your thoughts. And so the command here at the end of verse 8 is think about these things. Think and keep thinking. Augustine, uh, sometimes known as St. Augustine, Augustine was a Christian theologian uh, around the year 415 to 420, somewhere in there. He wrote extensively about uh, sexual purity. Again, in the 400s, a long time ago, long before there was ever printed photographs or internet or telecommunications of any kind. He had no magazines, he had no photos, he had nothing, and yet he declared that even when he was all alone, he struggled to have pure thoughts. He wrote, even if you are alone, let your chastity shine in the sight of God. He argued that sexual temptation could come from the mind alone. And he was right. He wrote this because in spending time in solitude, he had to fight for his thought life. How much more do we need to guard the input of our minds? We live in the era of visuals, pictures, videos, and an unending stream of them. The mind is powerful. What we keep in our minds is of vital importance. In Matthew 5, Jesus said that if you are angry against someone, that that is the same as the sin of murder. He equated anger with murder. Even if you never physically did anything to harm the other person, what you did in your mind with anger was murder. Jesus also stated that lust for someone is the same sin as having illicit sex with that individual. Again, no physical activity, no physical contact, just thinking. Lust is the same sin as adultery, a simple act of the mind. We remain faithful to Christ by controlling our thoughts. Husbands, you remain faithful to your wife by controlling your thoughts. Wives, you stay faithful to your husband by controlling your thoughts. No, no divorce ever occurred outside the realm of thought. It started with thoughts, right? No one just up in one day moves out and says, I'm done with you, unless their thought life had already put them to that. No one abuses their spouse without thoughts being the problem first, right? The 
mind is powerful. So we must be selective as to what we think about. And here's the thing. We can't just make ourselves stop thinking about something, can we? We don't have that capacity. The only way to stop thinking about something is to push something else into its place, right? Hence this wonderful and comprehensive list. Whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, whatever is commendable and excellent and worthy of praising God, think on these things and you won't have room for those other thoughts. In verse 8, think right. Verse 9, do right. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. What are the things that Paul has told the Philippians that they have learned, received, heard, and witnessed in Paul? Well, how much time do you have? Paul was their pastor. Paul and Silas founded the church in Philippi. They spent years with them. There is really no end to the biblical truths that Paul and Silas communicated to the church in Philippi. And Paul, in this one relatively short verse, says, Don't forget anything that I taught you. Isn't it a good thing we have the written word of God? so that we can keep going over it again and again and again and again. Because we need to keep going over it again and again. Paul's instruction is remember. Remember the Christian doctrine that I taught you, that I exemplified in my own life for you, he tells them. Remember Christian doctrine for the purpose of living Christian doctrine. There's a reason when we teach and preach that we consistently at Grace Baptist Church point you to the scripture to show you where we're getting these things that we're preaching and teaching. We want you to know that these are God's teachings and not man's. The verb in verse 8 was think on these things. In verse 9, it's practice these things. But practice, or doing, also requires thought, doesn't it? We can't practice these things that Paul has taught us if we don't think through the things that we've been taught. How will you know what God expects of your behavior and thought life unless you keep filling your mind with scripture and biblical doctrine? How will you consistently obey God's word unless you keep your mind filtered with the virtues of verse 8? Read the Bible. Read good authors that help explain these theological truths. The book that we've gone through on Sunday nights, Praying the Bible. We have copies of them on the back table. If you didn't get one yet, grab one. It's a short read, and it will transform your prayer life if you'll just do it. And 
and I can say it with such ease because it really is a simple concept and profound. Let others help you know God's word. That's what reading should do for us. Think right, do right, and then we finish verse 9 with commune with God and the peace of, or no, excuse me, and the God of peace will be with you. It was a couple of verses ago that it was the peace of God will f- protect your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That was in verse 7. We discussed the peace of God. Today, the culmination of verses 8 and 9 is this personal communion with the God of peace. Do you see the difference? Do you see the escalation that Paul is bringing about? Peace of God is a gift from God, and we certainly want it. Nobody desires despair or discouragement or anxiety. As we talked about in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but what? Pray. And the result? The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. We want this gift of God. But the God of peace, that's not the gift of God, that's God. He says that the God of peace will be with you. Now, let's get our doctrine correct. If you are saved, if you have believed in Jesus for your salvation, God has promised you through his word that God the Spirit will live in you permanently. That's God indwelling you. So Paul is not saying here that by obeying these verses, you get more of God. He's not saying that. What he is saying is that you'll be closer to God when your thought life is God-centered. When your actions are regulated by God's doctrine, the God of peace will be with you. We remain faithful to Christ by controlling our thought life. Because if we control our thoughts, our words will be reined in, won't they? If we control our thoughts, our actions will conform to God's will for our lives. If we control our thoughts, we are going to be in such shining contrast to the world around us that we won't actually be able to explain it other than Jesus working in us, right? Chapter 4 has dealt with a, a wide variety of topics that have to do with the heart and mind. Did you see that? Verses 2 and 3 was about a disagreement between two women that they needed to get along. That's a a part of their heart, isn't it? Their thought life. Verse 4 was about having an emotion, joy. Verse 5 was about how you process thoughts and situations. Be reasonable. Verses 6 and 7 was dealing with worry through prayer. Verses 8 and 9 includes just about everything else related to your thinking. 
In short, chapter 4 makes it clear that God expects us to rein in our thought life, our minds, our emotions. Well, I can't help how I feel. Is God asking us to do something that we cannot do? He may be asking us to do something we cannot do on our own. He does that plenty of times. But if you will filter your heart through these things, will you not end up being more peaceable within your spirit? Will you not experience more joy as we looked at in verse 4? Saturate yourselves with the things of God, the things that honor God. It begins with Bible reading, but it's much more than that. Be clear-headed and evaluate what you are letting into your mind. What we let into our minds is of vast importance because what we let into our minds, some of that is what we're going to hang on to. What are you going to continue to think about? Evaluate what you let stay in your minds. Evaluate where your mind wanders when you have downtime. You must intentionally train your mind. We remain faithful to Christ by controlling our thought life. We cannot do that without conscientious, conscious, willful training of our minds, just like any muscle. A child learns how to walk, and at first it's terrifying, right? I mean, you want to let them learn, and at the same time, you know that at the moment you let go of his or her hands, she's going to fall. But as the muscles grow stronger, it becomes to the point where they don't think about it. And we don't. We do all sorts of physical things without thinking. The mind is the same way. If we develop patterns, develop habits of pursuing godliness in our thought life, it will become easier. It will be become more natural. We must intentionally train our minds. So examine your habits and patterns of mind. What does your internet browser history look like? What do you daydream about when you're idle? What thoughts do you enjoy and entertain often? Use these verses to give your thoughts over to God and remain faithful to him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the ways that we allow thoughts to reside in our minds that are ungodly, that are untrue, that bring about worry and anxiety, that are not pure and lovely and just and commendable. Father, forgive us for the habits of thought life that we have developed that are sinful. Help us to, to live out these verses well this week. That we would only dwell on that which is best. That which causes us to adore you, to praise you, to give glory to you. Father, what a change it will make in our actions, what a change it will make in our church and in our community if we were to all think on just 
these godly things. So Father, convict us, refresh us with new thoughts, with new habits that we might bring glory to you. We thank you for your word, for your spirit's convicting work in our lives. May we grow closer to you today. In his name we pray.